Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What is cultural identity? How do various parts of Scripture work together to tell a unified story of God's purposes in the collective identity and cultural expressions? Why does a man who spent much of his career in Ethiopia care about these things? This is the story of Dr. Stephen Bryan. He's come to appreciate the profound importance of biblical theology to the life of God's people around the world. We pause here to be to begin our program as we typically do to remind you that the reason we have the Good Life show is to share how the love of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Christ so strong that He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Yes, hope to you, dear friend. Would you respond to the call of Christ? And dear one, if you already know the Lord, hey, look, I believe you're going to be encouraged today. Dr. Stephen Bryan is a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He served as a missionary in Ethiopia for more than 23 years, where he taught at the Evangelical Theological College in Addis Ababa. He also served as the first dean of studies of the Ethiopian Graduate School of Theology. He completed his Ph.D. in Historical Jesus Studies at Cambridge University. Steve and his wife Dawn have three young adult sons and a daughter-in-law. He's the author of Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, a Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and Race. Steve, welcome to our show. Well, thank you so much, Danny, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to have a conversation. Steve, where did you grow up? I grew up in the U.S. Uh, in uh Kansas and Oklahoma, uh, sort of uh, a little bit of both, um, but kind of claim Oklahoma as uh, as home. It's where most of our extended family is. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years there in Middle America? Well, my my parents were people, you know, of strong faith and and brought us up in in the Lord, and I I think their their influence on uh, on me was. Uh, was profound. Um, they they had a strong faith, and they were certainly eager to sh- to share share that faith and pass that faith down uh, to us. And so, uh, I would say um, that 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 you know, child childhood upbringing in the church was was certainly crucial for 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 me. Steve, are your both your parents still alive? They are. They're both still alive, uh, and uh, and still. Still walking with the Lord, and um, grateful uh, that the Lord has given them longevity, and um, and yeah, we have just an ongoing warm relationship. You mentioned their influence on you, and even spiritually. Describe your journey, your journey to Christ. Well, I think uh, growing up in in the church, um, you know, the uh, just the rhythms of. Uh, of our our weekly life just was was very much centered around uh, around the church and um, and had you know a number of adults through the years who uh, um, who were strong in the faith who were models and examples uh, to me and that really kind of continued in early teenage years and through college where you know adults would you know spend spend time invest uh, so just can look back with uh, with a great deal of um, gratitude at the at the people through the church primarily who um, um, who were engaged with me, who were interested in me, who who you know, were always checking in to see how I was doing, and you know they 
in those days we didn't really talk so much about uh about mentoring but i can think back to you know a number of key people who i would regard as uh certainly fulfilling that kind of role even if and in some instances not altogether you know and intentionally but it was just setting a an example and interest and and make you know making me feel included within the household of faith well i read somewhere that you you grew up in a town called liberal just <laughs> just just north of oklahoma i mean but when you said you mostly oklahoma it's so close you're pretty much on the line yeah it's it's uh it's it's a sparsely populated part of the country uh so uh, very much a small town. Those are my earliest earliest years. It kind of sits right on the uh, on the Oklahoma Kansas Kansas border, and so we we spent time on both sides of the border when I was when I was growing up. But through high school years and then in college, it was it was Oklahoma, and that's kind of where my 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 extended family, my parents, and the, and siblings ended up as well. Where did you meet Don? We met at Trinity in, in Chicago. Uh, she was an undergrad. I was a student, a grad student to, at uh, at seminary, and um, and we struck up first a friendship, and then it became more than a friendship. And we we both had kind of common interests and and aims, and and those common interests uh, eventually took us together to to Ethiopia. When did God call you? and call you together specifically to Ethiopia? Well, I think uh, as I was, you know, I was, I was, I was finishing my uh, time at seminary, about about halfway through seminary, I uh, had a real strong sense that, you know, that the Lord was, was just um, pressing me to see if I would be, you know, to be, to be open. I'd gone to the seminary thinking that I would go back into engineering. That was my undergraduate degree. Uh, and um, and it was during the, those years in the seminary where it became increasingly clear that uh, where the Lord was directing me was uh, was into ministry on a on a full time basis and and then as part of that uh, just this sense of real challenge to consider whether theological education and and a cross cultural context might be the uh, the path that he that he had for me and it, and it was. Was there a particular moment where, where you and Don just knew? I mean, you could go anywhere in the world, but how did it make it, it was, clear that it was Ethiopia? Yeah, it was probably different for both of us, and and came, you know, we were, our sense of calling was uh, kind of took place as as individuals, but then I think. Uh, as the Lord called us together, then the, the, that kind of merged. Uh, and I think part of that, our courtship was, was, was in part focused on that question, you know, as our, are the callings that the Lord has placed on our life, do they, do they fit well together? And, and it did seem that that, that was the case. And so she was, um, her, in her, her early career, she was focused on, um, Teaching, she was an elementary education uh, teacher, and and I was uh, focused on theological education. I had been to Ethiopia uh, before the communist government fell in 1991, um, and it was just very difficult to get in in the country. So I was only able to st- stay a short time. But as we were finishing our education, uh, I was finishing a master's; she was finishing her bachelor's. Uh, the communist government fell. And suddenly it became possible to do, you know, the, the country opened up and, uh, and, you know, in a situation where basically all the churches had been closed uh, for 17 years, uh, was, had been very, very difficult to do theological education, um, certainly not in a kind of formal, open way. Um, and so when those opportunities then opened up, uh, it was it, just as we were finishing. It was a kind of a a natural fit, you might say, a kind of um, a no brainer for us for us to to head there. And and we had relationships built with people there that uh, that that enhanced that and and uh, confirmed that sense of calling. Steve, did you have any idea at that time that you would 
spend more than two decades, almost two and a half decades there in Ethiopia? Well, it's a great question. We didn't we didn't go with a you know with a with a particular time frame in mind. We didn't know whether it would be a few years or or many years. We just went with a kind of uh, open ended sense that we were clear that the Lord was calling us there, and uh, and with a kind of confidence that He would make it equally clear when it was time to go somewhere else. And and so. Uh, we didn't realize at the time we were, you know, we were we were both quite young, maybe a bit naive, but we didn't realize at the time that it would mean spending, you know, almost 24 years uh, in in Ethiopia. But that's what it was, and we look back on those years with uh, a great deal of uh, you know warm memories and and just grat- gratitude that the Lord uh, not only was able to use our gifts there, but also that uh, He formed us in particular ways uh, for ongoing work um, that he was preparing us to do um, on the other side of that. So you mentioned uh, in a flash of reflection, he formed us. Yes. What is one way that God formed you? One of the ways. I think, you know, there's probably a variety of ways that you can answer that, that question. Uh, but I think probably the most important thing is is that from an uh, an early age, and then with a consolidated sense through high school and particular particularly college, uh, this just this fundamental commitment that whatever the Lord was asking uh, me to do, uh, whether it was through the the scriptures, um, or whether it was in, in the application of, of uh, of the teaching of the scriptures, that I was going to to do my level best to um, to to follow that, and um, I think that that kind of fundamental conviction that the Lord has has spoken in His Word, and and so therefore it's important to to mold my life to that, uh, and whatever the Lord sort of indicates to me um, through. Uh, the scriptures directly or through the ministry of the of the word that uh, i would uh, i would do all that i could to um to to obey that and to and to to mold, conform my life to that so i think that bedrock conviction that um that you know formation fundamentally takes place when we respond to uh the announcement of of the gospel and then keep responding to it keep seeking to have its its rhythms, its 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 logic, its uh, its power, sort of the 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 primary um, force in our lives, the primary formative force in our lives. So I guess I would point back to the uh, to the to the role of God's Word in in informing us, um, primarily in the church, uh, as the Scriptures are faithfully proclaimed uh, in keeping with the gospel. Um, and so I, I think those that, that's really, really at the heart of all, all of it. Dr. Stephen Bryan, he is, he is a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's talking about how God formed him and formed him in a way where he says he began to mold, I began to mold my life, he says, to, to God's will during those 20 for years there in Ethiopia. He graduated from the University of Cambridge, a PhD in historical Jesus studies. He wrote a book, Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, a biblical theology of ethnicity, nationality, and race. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Stephen Bryan. He was the director of SIM Ethiopia leading the work of over 500 ministry and support personnel from Europe, Australasia, North America, South Africa, and Ethiopia in a variety of church planting, discipleship, leadership development, and compassion ministries. You can find out more about him at tiu.edu. Again, that's tiu.edu. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sleep beneath the barren sky. 
James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. In writing his book, Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, Dr. Stephen Bryan says, the aim of this book is to explore what scripture has to say about God's purposes, not only for people, but also for peoples. You can find out more about him at tiu.edu. If you're tuning in right now, caught the tail end maybe of the last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. It's a podcast available for you. Just go to drdanny.live, Spotify, Apple, any major podcast platform, it's available for you there. Stephen, what is cultural identity? Well, I think cultural identity is... Uh it's it's difficult. It's a culture itself is a difficult term to uh, to define, but it has to do with these these the the widely varied ways in which different groups carry out similar similar actions, differing patterns and practices that emerge over time as expressions of of shared value, shared ways of ways of life. Um, so, its cultural identity speaks to our sense of identity as individual that comes from the fact that we we belong to a group or in many cases to to several groups uh and uh and culture gets at what that is what it is about that group uh that gives us a sense of belonging to it what it is about that group that gives us a sense of belonging how has appreciation what have you noticed appreciation for cultural I, cultural identity in terms of how it has grown as a fundament, fundamental to human existence. You know, growing up in, uh, in, South, in kind of a sparsely populated part of the country, uh, I didn't really meet people who were different than, than I am. And, and many people um, say that culture is something that you, you don't necessarily know you have until you meet someone whose culture is different. In other words, it emerges, you know, or, or we have a sense of it when we meet someone who doesn't share uh, share that culture. And so it was in uh, in meeting, you know, meeting people uh, later in life that those cultural identities were different from my own that I began to realize, hey, I did. It. There were some distinctive ways in which I I thought about the world that that differed from from that of other people and. And that was, uh, you know, early in life, a source of fascination, and then a kind of a growing uh, sense of the the importance of that, and and the extremely varied ways in which people experience that uh, around the uh, around the world. That that led me to this study. As you went forward with the study, why is it that understanding God's intentions for peoples, and again, you might clarify when we talk about people and peoples but why is it that understanding god's intentions for peoples why is it vital to living in this world well i think there are many people that think about cultural difference as as a net negative uh, in terms of human experience is wouldn't it be much better if people you know if we if we looked at others and only saw individuals and and didn't see uh, and didn't see group identity, uh, and 
And that has been one very important stream of thought that uh, that has shaped the way that people think about groups. That is, they, you know, they we want to construct a society in which groups don't matter. Um, and I I get that to a certain to a certain extent. Uh, but if you if you turn to the early pages of of scripture, I think what it's indicating to us is that they matter to God. That is, that God intends for uh, for our lives as individuals, as important as that is, that they are formed in part by uh, the fact that those lives un unfold within culturally distinct groups. That's part of God's intention, part of God's purposes. Um, so I, I wanted to, get to to try to explore how that uh, how we see that in the early chapters of Genesis in in particular, and then how that is sustained across the pages uh, of Scripture. This isn't simply that you know a purpose of god at the beginning that he he abandons uh you know after humans uh rebel against him um but it is a purpose of god that is sustained from genesis all the way through to to revelation he intends this as a as a good um even though we don't always experience it as a good it is god's intention for it to be a good Stephen, you made an intriguing observation in this exploration. How does Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream relate to the feet of clay in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Well, what I think, you know, we, <laughs> I kind of start the book by, by drawing this, this contrast between, um, between Nebuchadnezzar and the dream that he has in the book of Daniel and uh, and Martin Luther's Martin Luther King's uh, you know famous speech, um, I have a dream speech, um, and uh, and the reason is that um, I think uh, both of them were wrestling with the with a problem that is that is common to almost every single modern country. Uh, and was a growing problem in the ancient world with the rise of empires. And that is the problem of cultural multiplicity within a single polity. When you think about the way most people experience cultural identity with, within a country, They're, they belong to a nation, they have, you know, probably have a passport, uh, but then they find people who are culturally different from them inside of their own country. And I think this is what uh, you know. In, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he's he's uh, he has this vision of a series of empires uh, and all these peoples who have been brought together within under kind of a single dominion or a single government. Uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's case, his own kingship, um, and the whole statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream has feet of clay. And the feet of clay, it you know, is it's clay mixed with iron, and and the question that the dream raises is that it kind of undermines the whole imperial project. That is, um, will any empire be fragile because of cultural multiplicity? And and so it's raising for us a really interesting question and a, and, a, and a problem in one sense. The problem that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, identifies in his speech that is that you have multiple cultural perspectives multiple multiple peoples inside of a country uh how do we make that work how how are we to uh is, is that a good thing and can we can can we actually um have a, a single society with multiple cultures in which those multiple cultures aren't always in an endless, perpetual contest for domination, for power. Uh, and, and, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream was for a society in which that was possible. Um, and, and I think Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream, by contrast, is uh, as a human project, is it, is it ever really possible or will it re render every country that attempts it or every society that attempts it uh, hopelessly fragile. You deal with diversity and unity. 
you talk about ideological perversions. One thing I appreciate about the the work you've done is you've, in the exploration, you've just taken these up, taken the problems that exist and and pulled it all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, looking at it through a biblical theological lens. You're listening to Dr. Stephen Bryan. Find out more about Stephen Bryan at tiu.edu. His book is available on Amazon and major outlets everywhere. Again, the book is titled Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God. When we come back, we're going to go deeper. How does the pursuit of unity come at the cost of diversity? What are some of the implications? That and more. You know, Dr. Stephen Bryan says about ideological perversions. This is what he says. He says, identity becomes ideology when those who hold it assert the intrinsic superiority of one identity over another. More from Dr. Stephen Bryan when we come back. TIU.edu. Stay with us. What can we learn about evangelism? Danny Yamashiro here. Rebecca Manley Pipper wrote in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. I once asked a woman if she felt comfortable about evangelism. Oh yes, she responded. I do it twice a week. Somehow it sounded more like taking multiple vitamins. Evangelism isn't just something you do out there and then get back to normal living. Evangelism involves taking people seriously, getting across to their island of concerns and needs, and then sharing Christ as Lord in the context of our natural living situations. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. We have the privilege of having uh, Dr. Stephen Bryan with us. He's the author of the book, Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, a Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and race. He says about ideological perversions, he says, identity becomes ideology when those who hold it assert the intrinsic superiority of one identity over another. Nationality easily becomes nationalism, ethnicity slides into ethnocentrism, and race is readily corrupted by racism. We go deeper here today. You can find out more about Dr. Stephen Bryan at tiu.edu. His book available at Amazon and book releases everywhere. Find out again more at tiu.edu. Steve, how does, and I want to go deeper here, how does the pursuit of unity come at the cost of diversity? Well, I think... Uh, many, you know, almost every society is trying to to work out how they can be uh, both one and many at the same time. And in many societies, uh, simply throw their hands up and say, it's not possible. We will only be one. Um, and so you think about societies in which there are, you know, there's a kind of a systematic attempt to uh, to suppress all but one identity. And some. And often that is done in the name of uh, of a national culture, and so um, uh, nationalism, by definition, at least the hard form of nationalism, is the is the idea that uh, that a nation should be made up of people who all have the same culture. Um, and so, uh, if that's going to be the case, then what do you do with the other the other cultures? You have to figure out a way to either. Uh, Either to erode them over over time, or to eliminate them over over time, or in some way to assert the domination uh, of one 
culture over uh, over others. So this can happen on on the left. Uh, it can happen on the on the right. So it's you know it it's not sort of a problem exclusively of the right or the left. You find these kinds of uh, of uh, projects that that are that are undertaken in the name of unity that ultimately squash and eliminate uh, eliminate di- diversity. Let's, um, and sometimes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no you, you go ahead. I, ju- I was just jumping in to see, you know, let's press in a little further on this and on, on what some of these implications are. How do they look to us today? Well, I think, it, you know, so one, one form of them, you know, obviously is uh, in, in our own context here, here in the U.S. is to, we, we say that, you know, our, our, our fundamental premise, our constitution is based on the equality of, of every individual. Um, but that's not really our history. And sometimes in asserting that we are only about individuals, what is sometimes known as classical liberalism, kind of the foundation of our, our political order, uh, we're not going to think about groups. That was a striking political in- innovation at the time. This, you know, the Constitution was uh, was written, um, but I don't think this worked out that way in practice. In other words, in saying we're not going to pay attention to groups, uh, we've denied something that's actually really important about about human identity. And so, those one identity, uh, as we've seen through much of the history of this this country. Uh, you know, was was attempting to assert domination over uh, over other uh, cultural identities that uh, that were in the in the country. Sometimes that was ethnic, so, uh, but primarily it was ra- racial in, in in this country. Um, but you can think of uh, you know pretty much any country in which the language of unity ha- becomes the 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 primary discourse, the ultimate. Uh, result of that, we see this, for instance, in places like uh, in places like China, is the suppression of of cultural difference, of cultural distinction, of of ethnic minorities, um, and and so the it's all under undertaken in the name of unity, but but often at the cost of of true and genuine and and ongoing diversity. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar's dream just a moment ago. Let's go a little further here when we talk about political weaknesses broadly. Left, right, centric. What does the stone that crushes Nebuchadnezzar's idol, Daniel chapter 2, what does that say in terms of addressing political weakness? Well, I think it it casts a vision for uh, for what life under the the rule of God will look like, and and the premise of uh, of imperial ideology or the premise of empires is to subsume all peoples under one people. That, that you know, in the succession of empires that we we see talked about in the in the Book of Daniel. That's really what they were trying to do: is to assert the nomination of of one ethnic or cultural identity uh, over all over all others. Um, and so it was really a project of uh, of domination, uh, the 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 assertion in a very bald and open way of the supremacy of one over another. And part of that was religious in nature. If if uh, if my people conquers your people, it must mean that my God is stronger than your people's God. And so, you know, we'll just incorporate your God into, you know, our, our polytheistic framework and, uh, and, and power, the power of the, all the gods will be summative. Uh, So that was kind of an ancient, you know, the kind of the religious underpinnings of ancient experience of, of empire, but the kingdom of God is, is, is quite different. Um, And I think we see the early, articulation of this in the covenant that God forms with with Abraham and that covenant is to form one people holy to the Lord um, that will be made up of all peoples uh, the way I put it in the book is it's it's a vision for a people of peoples living under the rule of God receiving the blessing of God and sharing that blessing with all peoples 
and then returning that blessing to God in the form of, of thanksgiving and, and praise. That's God's purposes or his purpose for peoples. Uh, and so it, it's a very beautiful and, and strikingly beautiful uh, text there in Genesis chapter 12 that I think scripture um, leans into. The whole of scripture then is the articulation of how how uh, the purpose of God in the Abrahamic covenant is ultimately comes to to fruition, to produce this kind of people, a people of peoples. So, Steve, how do scriptures assert value of individuals? I'm talking about imago Dei, the image of God, and, and people's lives with moral meaning. Well, I think it really is found foundational that, that, uh, that everyone is created in the, in the image of God. I read one, someone recently who thought this was one of the the great contribution of uh, of Christianity um, to um, to political societies today, this idea that every person is created in the image of God, uh, that was a that was a new idea, uh, uh, and it uh, and it was it was not a widely held idea. There were plenty of people who believed no, only the king is made in the image of God. You know, everyone else there, therefore, are inferior as humans, and and uh, and Genesis states very clearly: no, everyone is made in the image of God, and therefore we are all of equal dignity and uh, and value, and that becomes then a building block for you know a basis for saying that, well, that must mean that every group is, since the groups are made up of individuals, that every that no group is superior to any other group. Um, and so I think it, it really is quite foundational for us. Say more about moral meaning. And, and again, what does, that, what does moral meaning mean to us in terms of how we ought to see others or even behave? Well, I think what moral meaning comes from a, a basic way of, you know, of a way of seeing the world, of conceptualizing what is true and real about uh, about the world, uh, and then to the extent that our lives conform with that, we can say uh, that that to the extent that that way of seeing the world is really true, and our lives conform with that, they're they're moral lives. In other words, our moral meaning takes place within a particular conception of what is of of what's real, uh, and. If our conception of what's real is uh, corresponds to the way things actually are, and our conformity to that conception, we live with truly live within that conception of, of the world, uh, then our lives, I think, can be said to be invested with uh, with moral moral meaning. Um, and so, I think it's relevant to this conversation because you know a part of what we you know are thinking about when we talk about um, God's intention, God's purpose to create a people of peoples. Uh, if we live, if we imagine that that is the way the world ought to be, and we find ways to, to you know, that that the purpose of culture is for one group uh, to give particular form and shape to the way in which people, one people, blesses another people, and and then in return and. Uh, that blessing is reciprocated. It gives particular form for our response to God uh, in, in gratitude and, and thanksgiving. Um, if that's the way that we imagine the world, that God intends the world to be, then that shapes the way that we think about our, ourselves and our lives and, and the way we think about uh, you know, other people, especially across lines of, of cultural difference or lines of ethnic or racial difference. You're listening to Dr. Stephen Bryan. He's a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's the author of the book, Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, a Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and Race. When we come back in our final segment, well, hey, we'll talk about Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. What do we learn from Jesus? with his encounter, or in his encounter with the Canaanite woman. That and more. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, Coexist? 
you might see that picture in your mind right now. Well, how does John's vision for God's people go beyond tolerance of difference? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. In addition to his research, writing, and teaching as a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. Stephen Bryan, in his spare time, relishes. Time in the garden, trout fishing, and reading about history. He enjoys going on walks with his wife, Dawn. He says, The biblical vision of unity requires diversity. Without difference, there is nothing to unify. Find out more about Dr. Stephen Bryan at tiu.edu. This podcast is available for you. DrDanny.live. Go and find it on Apple, Spotify, and the major podcast platforms. Steve, in this, our final segment here, in Matthew 15, what do we learn from Jesus with the Canaanite woman? Well, this is one of the more, more challenging uh, episodes in the, in the gospel, as, as, as you know. Um, and uh, I think it's it's important to to read it in the flow of of Matthew's narrative. Uh, so in Matthew, there's the feeding of the five thousand, and then a gathering of of twelve baskets uh, of of leftover of leftover bread. Uh, and the picture is of of Israel gathered around the Messiah, and and this 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 flow of blessings, this, and in one sense, an overflow of, of blessings um, to, uh, to, to Israel. So much bread, more than Israel, you know, the 12 uh, baskets of leftover, uh, leftovers representing, you know, just abundant, God's abundant provision for, uh, for Israel. And then just a bit later on, um, the feeding of 4,000. Most scholars think that it takes place in in non-Israelite territory, and uh, and that it is a feeding that um, that, that that is primarily for uh, for non-Jewish participants, um, and still there 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 are leftovers, seven baskets of leftovers, representing the the fullness of God's provision, I think, for all peoples. And in between, you have this encounter between Jesus and this woman who is referred to as uh, as a Canaanite woman. And, and her daughter is demon-possessed, and she wants Jesus to, to do something about this demon possession. And he seems kind of callous toward her, kind of almost ignoring her. Uh, and and it, it becomes quite uncomfortable. And the disciples are like, well, you know, let's send her away, you know, kind of get, get rid of her. This is, this is uncomfortable, and, and she is proving bothersome. Clearly, Jesus doesn't want to do anything by way of response to her. And and Jesus says, finally speaks and says, uh, you know, that uh, I didn't come. I came for the lost sheep of the house of, of Israel. And the woman in this, this moment, which Jesus commends as, as great faith, she says, you know, 
the, the bread that's put on the table for the children, referring to Israel, it, there's so much bread, it's falling off the table. Uh, and surely there there's enough for everyone. And that's kind of what's been illustrated in the feeding of the uh, of the 5,000. Um, and I think her, her insight, her faith-filled insight, is that she's not, you know, claiming different bread. She's not sort of saying, oh, you know, there, there ought to be, you know, bread, you know, given to the children, and then bread given to everyone else, and it should be equal. She's saying, she's laying a claim to the abundance of the blessings poured out on, on Israel through the Messiah. And, and she, she's, she's indicating that these blessings are so abundant that there's enough for all peoples. And it's at that point that Jesus responds to, to her, her faith. You know, and and commends it. You know, as as faith not seen in Israel. You know, this is this is extraordinary insight on her part that um, that she is a participant, uh, and I think she's representative of all uh, non-Israelite peoples or non-Jewish peoples, a participant in Israel's blessing. That is, God is forming this people of peoples within Israel, and I think that's that that's the point that. Uh, that Matthew's may, making, perhaps as he cultivates this kind of openness to other peoples among primarily uh, primarily Jewish uh, Jewish readership. So this brings us a challenge. How do we view, well, how do we view ourselves, for one, and how do we view others? You spoke about the scriptures asserting value of individuals in the image of God people's lives with moral meaning. How do we see others, really? And how do we behave toward others? You do write later on in the book, you, you talk about the bumper sticker, coexist. A listener might be envisioning that right now. It has to do with different religions. How does John's vision for God's people go beyond Tolerance of difference. Well, I, I know that tolerance has been kind of a, a, a kind of watchword, uh, you know, among some theorists um, as as societies tried to deal with this this issue of uh, of multiplicity, um, and but I think tolerance is a kind of paltry vision uh, of of what human human beings ought properly to offer one another. Uh, and and John uh, and all the New Testament writers, I think, uh, cast a vision for uh, for unity that embraces a, a kind of cultural diversity in which the, the thing that binds these different groups together within one people is love. Uh, and and I think that's that goes to the reflects um, the New Testament teaching about who God is. That God um, from all eternity is a God who um, within whom whose one identity incorporates multiplicity. And so, in one sense, this vision for humanity is simply uh, a mirror of what you know of what Scripture teaches God Himself is. He is his reality is being as triune in, in nature uh, and without, and, and John of course famously writes that God is love, but that's only possible if there, if, if there's difference within the, the one God to make this love possible. And so, um, so diversity really does require difference. It requires love. Uh, and I think God himself is held up as a model for, uh, how we as human beings can can be both one and many. Steve, I'd like for you, I'd like to ask if you would pray for for our listeners, pray for us. In in light of what you're describing right now, and what you write when you write about the Trinity, you talk about this this embrace. There's a there's a unity and a diversity, or you talk about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in an eternal loving embrace, the perichoresis. You, would you just say a brief word about that in terms of a prayer towards 
a godly purpose as we move forward with what we learned from you today and what we'll gain even more from by reading your book. Yeah. Well, I'd be happy to pray for uh, the listeners of the podcast today and, and, uh, and that God would, uh, among his people, uh, cultivate this desire um, to, um, to embrace diversity and to do that in a way that God himself does. Let me pray. Our Father, we're grateful for um, the scriptures that's, that, uh, that not only show us how to live, but mold our imaginations. And we pray that we would imagine the world at its very best as a, as a people of peoples. Um, and that is what you indicate is your purpose to, to, to form from humanity. Um, and that, that cultural multiplicity is not something that, uh, that we will get beyond um, in, a, in an ideal world, but something that uh, will forever be a part of the human experience, even when you make all things new. So we pray that we, in anticipation of, of that distinct work, that's, that you have purposed and promised to, to accomplish, that we would live our lives in the present, in the present with a, um, in a way that is shaped by that vision of the future in which you um, bring all things um, together, reconcile all things in, in Christ um, and all peoples in Christ so that we may be one um, just as you uh, yourself are one forever, Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Steve, thank you. I appreciate you being with us today. Appreciate you very thank you much. Thank you very much. Yeah. And blessings on you as well. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an eternal loving embrace. Biblically grounded words from Dr. Stephen Bryan, tiu.edu. My friend, God's timing is perfect and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, I believe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Stephen Bryan, tiu.edu. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.